want you to open your Bibles tonight to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Let me ask you a question today. Why is it that so many Christians seem to be defeated? In light of what the Bible says about victory and expectations and so forth, why does it seem then that a lot of <coughs> church members, Christians, are not? There'd be a lot of excuses and a lot of reasons, I think, that people would give why they're not doing well or why things are not going well for them and things of that sort. But things don't have to go well for you in order for you to have the victory. You know that? You can have the victory when life is upside down in a prison. You can have the victory because you don't have to be defeated by anything, nothing. Now, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. I want to talk tonight about the foundation of the overcomer tonight in the next couple of weeks. I really want to talk about this. The foundation of the overcomer. Whatever overcomer means, and most of you know, but in case you don't, you need to listen to this. The foundation of the overcomer. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I want to talk about four pillars that form the foundation that enable a person to overcome. See, a foundation, as you well know, is the basis upon which something is established or something is built. The foundation of the Christian life basically is Jesus Christ. Everything that is right and will be approved of by God comes by him. It'll have to come through you. This is what establishes you on him is to allow him to live through you. That's your foundation. There is no other foundation than that which is laid and that is, Paul writes, Jesus Christ. It's not the church membership. It's not belonging to the Methodist Presbycostal Church. It's belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And contrary to popular belief today, if you are established in Christ, he has a place for you to also be established, a body of believers that he wants you with, unless to know some of those situations where it just can't be. But the overcomer, as he speaks of in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, comes from a word, nikao. You can call it nikao if you want to, but it's a family of Greek words which means to prevail, or it means to conquer, or it means to come off victor. And the idea behind the word, of course, is warfare. There would be no reason for you to prevail unless there is a real true threat of opposition. You know that. That there is something out there that if you're a Christian, something opposes you. Like Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of this world's darkness. You can't see them as far as seeing an image or a figure but you look at all the corruption and all the chaos in the world 
And the Bible teaches us that behind all of that chaos is the devil. And there are people who are more than willing to cooperate with the devil so that he manifests himself through these people. Remember Jesus said to the Pharisees once, they were religious people. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the works that he did, you also do. I mean, you couldn't see the devil, but you could see what he was doing. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 13, the Bible says that at the Last Supper, while they were dipping the sop, the Bible says that Satan entered Judas. Satan being a demonic leader. You know who he is. The head of all the world of darkness. And he, Satan, personally entered into a human being. And at that point, Judas did what he did, sold Jesus to those who bought him, and then went out and killed himself because the thief comes to kill, to steal and destroy. 30 pieces of silver looks good to somebody who's money-minded, but it brings the wrong results at the end of life. At least it did in his life. So there is warfare, there is a struggle, there is opposition, there is a kingdom of darkness. There is one who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. There is one who wants to get you weary and tired and give up and why try? There is somebody who wants you to think that it doesn't matter. What good is it? Who cares? There is someone that wants to tell you you're too tired. It's too far to go. It's just not worth all of it. And in every case, that's always the devil because God never teaches you that. Never, ever teaches his people to talk like that or to think like that. The word Nikao implies victory over. All of these things confront you. Weariness and weakness and loneliness and oppression. You have got to realize as a Christian, you're being equipped to rise above that thing and overcome it and triumph over it. Otherwise, those things become your excuses for why either you don't go to church why you quit trying, why you don't read your Bible, why you don't pray, why you don't study, why you don't attend. Everybody's got excuses. But when you don't live the way the Lord is teaching you to live, it's because somebody else has given you another angle or another way to explain why you don't have to. That's what you have to overcome. You can't allow yourself to be defeated and overcome by other things. You must overcome it. Remember John 16, 33? Right before he went to the garden, Jesus said, he said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I'm glad he did. I'm glad that he never buckled under to the world's pleasures, the world's lust, the world's enticements, the world's allurements. I'm glad that he never backed away from his father's will for him to do his own thing. Because in overcoming the world, he was able to present himself a spotless sacrifice for my sins. And he overcame. Not only did he do that, but because he did, I can too because God sent his very same spirit into my life to make me like him. We sing the song, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Well, if we're gonna be like Jesus, we'll have to overcome. 
We'll have to quit making excuses. We'll have to overcome all the problems that come to mankind. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation for just a moment. You're not far from it, chapters 2 and 3, because this is how important it is to overcome according to Scripture. There are seven churches addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. And one condition that is put upon each church as a condition for being blessed is that they must overcome. Now, you're living in a day religiously or spiritually that almost no emphasis is put on overcoming, almost zero. In fact, it would not be considered today necessary or vital to overcome. Because you see, there's a belief that says, if you have to overcome in order to inherit the blessings, then you have to do something in order to be saved or to get something. And they would say, we're saved by faith and not by anything else that we do. And so you don't have to do anything to be saved. That's a lot, but a lot of people bought into it because it's comfortable. You can sin, you can run around, you can fool around, mess up, live with somebody, drink, carouse, and it doesn't matter. You're still going to heaven. Because you see, there's nothing I can do to be saved, so there's nothing I can do to be unsaved. I'm saved, and therefore I'm saved. That's not true. Listen to this. In each church, the book of Revelation chapter 2, the first one was a church at Ephesus, and he said in verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, what if a person is overcome throughout his life, her life, our life? What if we don't overcome? Now, listen to me all. I want you to think about it. What if we read that, but we recognize that every time we engage in some kind of a difficulty, mental or physical, we sort of cave into something that says, find the easy way out. And then make the excuse, well, I'm not ready for that. What happens? Well, then what promise do we fall back on as an eternal blessing? If we don't in this life represent Jesus Christ as overcomers. In the same book, verse 11, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Well, what does he say if you turn it around? If you don't overcome, you will be hurt. I don't like that. Or verse 17, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone is a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. What if you don't overcome? Do you get it anyway? Now, I want you quiet for a little while. See, I usually want you up and hollering, but I want you quiet. I want you to think about it. Will you get this stone anyway? Whatever he's talking about here. It must be really important. Will you get it anyway because you held your hand up, went forward, or you attend church, or you belong to a church? Will you get the white stone anyway because you did something like that? Didn't say you would, did he? Chapter 2, verse 26. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works 
unto the end, to him will I give authority or power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Well, who gets to do that? Will you get to do that if you don't overcome? I mean, will you get to do it anyway? Surely God's bigger than, well, I'm just reading what he said. Chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Well, this is hard now. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Will you get that anyway? Do you have to overcome in order to qualify? Well, you think about it. Verse 12. To him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Will you get that anyway? See, it specifically says by design, by the Lord's design, that each of these wonderful eternal blessings, you must overcome to receive them. That's the condition. And in the last church, the church at Laodicea, verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. Did he? Didn't we say that a while ago in John 16, verse 33? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Didn't he say that? All right. Listen to this. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear. That's God's way, one of his ways of saying, think about what I just said. You need to ponder this in your heart and in your mind because they are conditions. It doesn't say you get all of this because you joined First Church. It means that you call yourself a Christian, you're required to make your calling and election sure, live like it really happened, live like you meant it, and don't give in to all the pressures that used to defeat you. They haven't gone anywhere, they're still out there, they're still headed your direction, but instead of you lying down and letting them triumph over you, you rise up, take what equipment God gives you to fight with, and overcome them. It's not easy. It's never been easy. It's not supposed to be easy. If it was easy, anybody would do it. But the truth is very few people do it. Now, the very few might be quite a number in the last days, but they're not all in this room. I imagine they're scattered around the globe. The point of it is you must overcome. Then if you go back to the back, chapter 21 and verse 7, Revelation 21 and verse 7, Speaking of that end time abode of a new heaven in verse 1 and a new earth. Of seeing the new city in verse 2, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Verse 6, Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh. Now, whoever he or she is, everybody who is a Christian can. Nobody's left out of the possibility of doing it. The power is there. 
the presence of the Holy Spirit. God is there. The Word is here. You've got time for both. Now, it's all up to choices. It's all up to choices. You can overcome if you want to. You can make excuses and join the majority if you wish. But God will hold us to one thing. He said, he that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. That's relationship. Is there a reason then why the Lord would say things like, depart from me, I never knew you. We never had a, a connection. The knowledge of me never affected you that you might desire to be like me. I overcame the world. If you overcome, you sit where I sit. Was there something lacking here? Was the relation between Jesus and God turned over to a relationship with a church or an organization or a system of man? I can't think tonight of a more sober subject in all the scripture than this one about overcoming. Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. All Christians are going to be tried and tested. Every Christian is going to be confronted by pressure and adversity, which adversity will determine just how serious you are about what you believe. If it's going to cost you something to go forward, will you go forward? Would you give up your job for honesty? You know the old story. The boss said, tell him I'm not here. And you say, I cannot do that. That would be a lie. And well, if you can't do that, then you're fired. Then I will have to be fired because I will not. See, you overcame what? You overcame the tendency that sin brings to lie or to cheat or to deceive somebody over the phone. You said, I won't do it because I've had a change of nature. Now this change is so important, so overwhelming that I cannot deny it. I must abide and I must obey. These are conditions. If you abide in me, was John 15 said, if you abide in me and my words abide and are living inside of you, ask what you will. In other words, it's success, it's success, and success, and victory. It's not all of that in terms of dollars and cents. It's in terms of things that make you Christ-like, that put you in the same kind of a character that Christ had, that he is building himself inside of you. I think Paul wrote that about the Galatians. He said, man, I travail for you until Christ be formed in you. I know you go to church. I know you went forward. I know you had a real turn around at the big campaign or at the camp or at a big revival. I know that your heart was broken over you, but are you living it? Are you living triumphantly daily? Because you're going to face something that's going to try to turn you back. I've been a Christian too long. I've been a pastor too long to know that it doesn't take much to send most people back. All it takes is a little pressure, the cost of something, maybe a strain in your marriage, maybe a decision between God and a child, or God and a youngster, or God and your wife or your husband. It only takes a few confrontations and you've got to make a big time decision. What am I going to do here? I know what is right. Well, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. Where does sin come? Sin is the devil. 
you got a war between two kingdoms here. One kingdom has controlled you your whole life. Your mind is geared that way and it's got to be renewed so that you no longer think that way. You got to think a new way. And God gives you a word as often as you're willing to find it, he'll reform your mind and give you a new way of thinking. That makes it easier for you to know what to do. It doesn't always mean you'll do it. It just means you know more what to do. But you must overcome. You must prevail over, how about mood swings? You must prevail. You can't march towards Zion and then go back. What's verse 38 say? Hebrews chapter 10, did you find it? But well, we are not, he said, of those who draw back unto perdition. The word perdition means destruction. It's not a good word for you to want. But we are those who believe in the saving of the soul. The 38th verse. Now the just shall live by faith. You must believe that he exists. You must believe this word works. You must believe he is there with you. Even as you must believe that where two or more are gathered tonight, that Jesus is here with us. Also, his angels are here tonight. I'm not into angelology, but he said they would be. I can't see them, but I don't have to see them to verify it. I believe what the book says. I mean, I just believe the content. I'm willing to humble myself that much. I can't prove this. You look like a fool trying to prove it, but I don't have to prove it. I just have to believe it. Now, the Bible says this will be one of our foundations about believing. If any man draw back, the word means to cower. It has to do with things that make people draw back. Fear. Fear of harm. Fear of loss. Fear of reprisal. Fear of revenge. Fear of a lot of things. So we're not of those that draw back. We're of those who believe to the saving of the soul. That's what overcoming means. And you've got to do that whenever you're put to the test and whenever you face life's problems. See, we must overcome. And because of that, turn to 1 John 2, 4, because we must overcome, we must equip ourselves to overcome. There are things that you have to have in your heart which bring you your equipment to overcome, the weapons of your warfare. You believe there's weapons of our warfare? You believe we wrestle against flesh and blood or against the spirit world? How many of you know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against unseen forces? They attack the mind, they attack the body, they attack attitudes, the systems of man, world rulers. They attach themselves to families so that certain traits run in families. You ever notice how you have alcoholism that it just seems everybody's an alcoholic? Just as everybody gets a certain kind of abnormality later in life. Well, granny had it, mom had it, I'll probably have it. Violence, everybody in the family's been to jail. Divorce, everybody in the family has marital problems. Have you ever noticed, why is that just run in some families? Or they're always poor, everybody was poor and they're poor. All the money they make and put it in pockets with holes in them. It's a demonic stronghold in families. They don't know this. 
They'd never been to church where anybody ever identified these things, so you learn to live with it. It just runs through the family, it runs through their children, it'll run through their children's children until the day they get their eyes open, if they ever do. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, not bound to customs and bound to symptoms and bound to family traits. I, many years ago, I, Bonnie and I went through a deliverance. That is, we sat down, wrote down some things that was in our families, in my family, marital discord. I don't know that my parents ever showed their love for each other. I don't remember ever seeing it. Alcoholism. Neither one of us ever had that problem. Addiction to smoking. Just kept running down all the things in her family, different kinds of physical things, blindness and sickness at an early age. You know, my sister died when I was a year old and the grief that came in my family. I think my dad, I don't know if he ever got over it, my mom said. It's just things that come in. They just come in. You never overcome it because what's that mean? Nobody knows what that means. My daddy was a Catholic. Catholics don't preach. Now, they don't have sermons like, well, they have a homily but it's not like a sermon. It's not like an instruction on how to live the Christian life because there's no need for that in some religions. You bow your knee at the altar of the system and you depend on the system to get you to heaven. In the meantime, you live like everybody else and well, you're as good as they are, blah, blah, blah. Nobody's ever taught us. Nobody ever told us how the devil operates. We didn't even believe it. We thought it was funny for people to talk about demons. And you know, the movies today talk, well, your demons is, or he's demonized. And they're really right. They do have demons. And they really are demonized. If you teach on it and you say, well, you know, the Bible says this and that about demons. What do people say? Well, he thinks there's a demon behind every bush. Well, there's at least three. But they will control you until you recognize them and overcome them. If you do well, you'll be rewarded. You'll be blessed. But if you don't do well, sin lieth at the door and his desire is for you. Genesis 4, 7. I would bet there's not very many people who ever have read that, heard that, or given any thought to that. That sin is a he. It's a someone who goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can talk out of their faith, whom he can talk out of their new decisions for Christ, how he can talk out of their not going to the party and drinking and carousing with that boy or that girl. Why would you want to miss out on all the fun things that you think everybody's doing? Come on, man. He's wanting to attack these people that had these newfound convictions and overwhelm them with being rejected by the system and all their friends if you don't do what they're doing. He doesn't know it's a devil. A mother told me years ago, she was talking about her daughter. She said, I can't take any more of this. This child will not. And she was just, she said, ooh. This was a long time ago, back in the early 70s. And I said, what if you could see into the spiritual realm? We would call that discerning of spirits, actually seeing in there, distinguishing in the realm of spirits. 
what the Bible calls the world of, the, of, of spirits, whether they be bad or good. You can see angels or you can see demons. They're both in the unseen world. So what if you saw a bunch of demons? I said, just play like you believe that, okay? What if you saw four or five demons that were aggravating your daughter and making her act the way she is, and then when you break down, you go, and they started laughing. Ha, 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 look what we've done here. She goes to church, look, we whooped her good. She said, oh, I'd be mad as I won't repeat her words. But she would be uh, excessively angry. I said, let me tell you something. The whole problem is that you're not fighting. You're not doing in the spiritual realm as a Christian equipped with asking you shall receive. You're using none of that on the behalf of your daughter. You're just crying out ah! like that. And the devil's having a big time with you because he's messing with your mind. And he's able to because he's done it all your life. He did it to your parents too. She said, well, what do you think I ought to do? I said, you ought to fight. She didn't know how to fight. I mean, you go to the big high church once a week if you don't have anything else to do, no derby or nothing. And you occasionally get there whenever you can and it's a socially proper thing to do and everybody knows that. You don't have to learn anything. Just be there and be seen. It's a good thing. I said, see, people like that are whooped, whooped, are defeated and overcome by the devil every hour of every day. They don't know that they can do something about their life. They don't know that they can do something about their depressions and their oppressions. One of the most horrible things there is is guilt. You are wrong because guilt is a condition that says you deserve punishment. One of the things that Jesus bore in Isaiah 53 was your guilt. They don't know they can fight. They don't even know what overcome means. They've never heard it. Nobody's ever taught them. They don't know how to apply these principles to their life. I go to church. I take my kids to church. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying that it is so easy, folks, to get caught up in the world and its systems and to let it really make trash out of you, let it really overwhelm you, or just absolutely warp your mind. Remember, the devil comes to kill and to steal and destroy. He has no rights to any of those things except the ones you give him. And if by ignorance he can deceive you, isn't that in the Bible? My people are destroyed. Why? For a lack of knowledge. They're destroyed. Hosea 4, 6. They're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And if he can keep us dumb, he can keep us in a box. There's plenty of those in the sympathy company that want to come around and bless your heart. There's nothing wrong with sympathy. Sometimes it's a great need. But some people would rather have sympathy than healing or sympathy than deliverance because sympathy also means attention. And it's tough sometimes when you're in your house by yourself and you're fighting something that nobody knows about and you want to get on the phone and call everybody about it and God says, this is between me and you and your enemy. Now you take what I've taught you and you fight. You believe that my words will work. Believe they will. Act like they will. You speak to the devil. You say, where is he? He's there. 
just like I'm here. You speak. You speak, your heavenly Father will hear you. And the devil will hear you too. And you make a decision, I will not lay down and quit on this one. I will not let the devil run over me. I will fight the good fight of faith. Have you found 1 John 2? 1 John 2 and verse 14. This is what you need. This is what God offers and this is what you need. He said, you are strong. Halfway through that verse, he says, you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Does that mean that if the word is abiding inside of us that it's changing things in our lives? If it's abiding, I don't mean just you've learned something, you've memorized a verse of scripture every day. That's in the mind. I'm talking about a word in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart. This is the way of life, a direction, so forth. The word is abiding inside of you when it determines your life, when your life is governed by it, when your decisions are based on it. You begin to live as it says. That's when you're abiding in the word. Now he said, a word that is abiding in you is what makes you strong. Now if there's one thing the devil doesn't want, obviously he doesn't want you strong. He wants you weak. I write to you little children because you've known the father. I write to you fathers because you've known him that is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you're strong. You're strong and the word of God abides in you and what? It's natural. When the word of God abides in you, it checkmates old ways and old decisions. When it's an abiding word, it's a living word. It lives in there so that your life may be determined by it. Now you have a will and you've got to choose to do this, but the word is in there for you to choose. If you have no word in you, you have nothing to choose. You just have to go by good ideas, good thoughts, and good intentions, or whatever you can. But when God gives you his word to abide in you, his word becomes a weapon. It becomes a weapon. What was that he called uh, in, uh, in uh, somebody's got to help me here, in Ephesians, I think it's still chapter 6. Talking about we wrestle, and I remember that, we wrestle against principalities and powers, and he said, uh, take unto you uh, half the armor of God. Oh, I'm sorry, the whole armor of God. And then he talks what those weapons are. You know, the helmet and a breastplate and the loin skirt and your feet shod and you got a shield and you got another weapon. It's called the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. How could you fight without the word? Now I'm repeating what I've said for 28 years this month when I say this, but there is just not a lot of word, inside word-minded people. A lot of church goers, but not a lot of people with an abiding presence of the word of God, which determines how they live and what they do. They don't do things, they don't wear things, go places, drink stuff, eat stuff, watch stuff, because of this abiding word which challenges that. See, your word creates convictions because your conscience, your mind is being renewed and your conscience comes into play. And when you got 
convictions and something says, well, oh boy, look at her, wow. Your conscience says, no, don't do that. See, this same book talks about the lust of the eyes because once you look, you look with thought. And once you look with thought, you get an image. And the image projects you in a situation with somebody you shouldn't be thinking like that about. And it opens the door to sin. Oh, everybody does that. Well, then everybody sins. But I don't think everybody does. But the thing inside of you that keeps you from looking and from glancing and from thinking is this living word. Not the word you memorized last week and go, oh my, a bad thought. What was that word I memorized last week so I can do something about that? Well, it's gone. Because if you don't give the more earnest heed to the word, what happens to it? It slips. It passes you by. I don't know what people do who go to church once a week or twice a month. I really don't. Well, I do know. I do know. But I think in these last days, we have an opportunity to add to our life something that cannot otherwise be added. That's the Word of God as it comes from the Spirit of God. Not from a preacher, but from God Himself. He said, you're strong and the Word of God abides in you. If they speak not according to this Word, they have no light. But you've got to know that. That's what makes you able to make distinctions. We'll get to that in just a minute. Distinctions about what's going on in this world. You see things you used to just, oh, that's fine. Now you go, you know what? I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. I read in the Bible the other day, hmm. And so you start thinking about what's going on here as to whether you should be doing that or not because the Word says, and you didn't just casually hear it, you listen to it. When you listen to it, you took it to bed with you. You woke up in the morning and believe it or not, you're thinking about it again. It's an abiding word. It has power of God written on it. He said, every word that God has sent forth to this earth, it shall do two things. It shall prosper in the thing whereto he sent it, and it shall accomplish that which he pleases. Only one thing does that, and that's the Word. It will do exactly what God said it would do. If it said you're more than conquerors through Christ, then you better get ready to be a conqueror. Amen. Forget about writing a book on how much of a conqueror you are. Just be glad you can conquer. You can conquer an old habit, an old thought, an old guilt, an old experience you had in your past that was sin. And the devil says, boy, I remember that time. Yeah, you really, no, I'm not. I have been forgiven, and I don't have to languish in yesteryear's sins. I've been forgiven. See, the word prevailed. I didn't lay down and say, I'm such a dog. Jesus said, I forgave you. I forgave you all your sins, and I'm free. Now, the foundation, I said, has four pillars. The four of them are discernment, faith, or believing, Witnessing and worship. Those are four things that if you're an overcomer, these things will be active in your life. Discerning, you got to have that. You wouldn't know who you were fighting if you didn't. Believing, witnessing, and worship. 
Let's take the first one of those, discernment. It is essential to be able to discern whatever is going on in order for you to overcome. You must know what you're trying to overcome. You must know if the thought you have that comes into your mind is of God or not. You got to know that. Remember that verse? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Those are things that have already been established in your life by the old life. Before I got saved, the way I lived, I allowed a lot of junk in my life. I'm ashamed of it. I'm not going into it, but I'm so thankful tonight for what I've been forgiven of. But all of those old things that I did, they established a way of life. The character of my life was like this. And you acted a certain way and you talked a certain way and you used certain words and you lived the sort of life that you lived because of the establishment of these things in your life that the world brought you. Look what you can have. Boy, look at that. Wow. You know, don't put up with that. Hit him in the mouth. And all this stuff came into your thinking. They were strongholds because they controlled you. You never resisted them because you couldn't. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God under the pulling down of strongholds. Listen to the next part. Casting down in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Casting down imaginations, mental pictures, images. Casting down imaginations or mental images and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. You don't need to do that. Do this. And you learn to pull those things down and bring every thought captive to Christ in you. That's how you overcome. But you've got to be able to discern what you're seeing. You've got to be able to discern what you're hearing. How could you resist the devil if you didn't know it was the devil? How could you resist the urges of Satan if you didn't know they came from Satan? How could you resist wrong doctrine if you didn't know anything about doctrine? Is there such a thing possible that an angel of light could be in a church? Appearing to be one of God's people? Is it possible? Of course it's possible. Jesus warned us, beware, he said, about those who come to you in sheep's clothing. Jesus said that. Well, the devil isn't going to come in here and rant and rave about Jesus and why he was wrong. He's going to use the same Bible and he's going to quote the scriptures and he's going to use the same Bible you got. He's going to say the right things to you. He may even have miracle power that operated some way or another to mislead you, to get your affections and then to start teaching things that aren't exactly right. Go to the front of your Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, just for a moment. In Deuteronomy 13, he said, If there arise among you a prophet, a dreamer of dreams, or a preacher, let's just make the whole circuit here, or a preacher, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and a sign or the wonder comes to pass whereof he spake, and you go, Whoa, this will get you national recognition. And if you can do it often enough, it'll get you global recognition. At least two books you can write and a lot of money. 
But that aside, the sign comes to pass, but then he teaches you to go after other gods. Maybe some articulate way of speaking about things sounding so doctrinally pristine, sounds so good and lofty. If you've never studied any kind of doctrines and theology has been an ugly word in your life and you never cared for it and didn't like it, somebody can come along somewhere in your life and talk heady, do a little something or another, or have a nice personality, and you'll follow it. I don't mean we should all be suspicious and go through life. I'm not talking about the gift of suspicion. We're talking here about a Christian who before you endorse anything or anybody, you need to listen to what he is saying, who he's traveling with, and what's his character. Because you can be snared by false prophets. Didn't Jesus warn us about that? The Bible speaks of false brethren who crept in unawares. The Bible speaks of false teachers teaching damnable things. People don't know that. They didn't know it. They had to be told that what you're being taught is wrong. Huh? False prophets who divine lies. False apostles who mislead and misrepresent. Everywhere Paul went, they came these false apostles after him to try to malign him and discredit Paul. You have to have the word in you. I can't emphasize enough how important it is for a body of believers to be taught. How can you discern the works, the ways, the maneuvers, the systems of the devil if you don't know what they are? You don't have to teach on the devil all the time. Just teach on Jesus all the time. Just teach what's right and you'll see the difference. They tell me that you don't have to look at a lot of counterfeit bills to know which one is counterfeit. Just look at the ones that are not counterfeit long enough and the ones that aren't will show up pretty easy. But if we're never taught or if we don't come very much, I guess I'm going to keep saying that until the Lord comes. Then we're never going to be discerning people. See, the word discern means to perceive. It means to distinguish, to tell the difference. That's what discernment is. To be able to see, or, you know, this preacher does a lot of things. You think, well, huh. All right, his message, that first message was okay. Let's see where we're going with this. Wasn't that good? Didn't he smile pretty? Yeah, he did. But before you get all crazy about this, listen to more. Listen to what he's saying. Has he got any tapes? Yeah, can I have one? Let me listen. Give me one on his bad night. Oh, he doesn't have bad nights. Well, then give me any of them. Listen to what he's saying. And you start picking out little doctrinal things in there. Jesus told me if I would jump up and down and, and yell, hoorah, that somebody would get saved. Well, I'm not saying Jesus couldn't do that, but that seems a little different than the way he would do it in the Bible. Well, somebody got saved. Well, good. I'm going to think I'm going to climb on this pulpit and holler and like that. I'm certainly not going to bark like a dog. I'm not going to quack like a chicken. I watched a video once of a church service, I guess they call it. And one preacher was talking to another preacher in tongues 
while up front of the church there was a man on his hands and knees barking and another man had his belt around his neck like he was leading him. Uh, something right there doesn't fit. And then I saw another video once of these things where a woman was in the front of the church and she was sitting in a chair and now she was really too old as far as a natural thing here. She was going through birthing pains, but she was a little old for that. But she was doing it anyway, because I guess it don't matter how old you are, you give birth to spirit. And she's up there going through birthing pains, and some of these spiritual midwives were around her, and she was giving birth that night to something spiritual. I guess a lot of people, while that was going on, people were falling down and barking and yelling and screaming, and, and they were making these jerking, and they said, this is the spirit of the Lord. I don't think so. I believe I'd rebuke it. If one of you jumped up and did that, I think I'd say, that's all you're going to do. That's it. How does that start? All you need is an environment where people wouldn't know what's right or wrong or up or down. They're just trusting in the system. They can do that kind of thing, and people think it really is something of the Lord. They think it really is. The preacher who came to our church many years ago and tried to seduce one of the young ladies in our church whose number was unlisted, but he was able to get it, he said, by the Spirit and called her and asked her to come to his motel and pray with him about some things. Right. You don't have to have a lot of discernment to figure that one out. That man was a preaching machine. He could preach. He could have you coming forward. I mean, he could do it in such a way that you thought, well, that's God. But it wasn't God. He might use the words of God, and you believe those words, you could get saved, but that man himself was inspired by something other than God. See, if we point these things out in teaching, people who don't want to know that that's true look at you as being critical or mean-spirited or whatever they call it today. Or if you point out things that aren't right, they say you're legalistic, as though we shouldn't point out anything wrong. Just let everybody do what they want to do. Or as the Bible said, every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and we shouldn't say anything wrong about it. Well, you're not supposed to judge. I beg your pardon? Discernment is judging. You are making a judgment call every time you discern a situation. Jesus said in John 4, he said, don't judge unrighteous judgment. He said, if you're going to judge, judge righteous judgment. Be fair, just in what you're saying. If I saw a man coming out of a, a motel room with somebody else's wife and they've been there all night long, I'm making a judgment call. If he or she said, you're not supposed to judge. I said, well, I beg to differ with you. I'm supposed to judge more than you're supposed to do what you did. I am saying you're an adulterer and you're an adulteress. I am saying to both of you that you are. Were you in there watching it? I didn't see a thing. I don't have to. It's the appearance of evil. No Christian would do that. See, we're almost afraid to think like that. But how in the world could you walk through this life and make distinguishing judgment calls if you didn't know what is right. Do you think it's wrong for an unmarried man and unmarried woman to be together like that? 
Do you think it's wrong? Four of you do. Has it been on TV so much that you no longer are we getting hardened to it when everybody does that? Take the occult. How many people know much about the occult? It's not a very glamorous subject. But I wonder how many people really know much about the occult. Turn to Hebrews 5. You're not far from it. Go back to the left three books. Hebrews chapter 5. At the end of that chapter, verse 14, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. Now, strong meat will challenge you. You got to think about what you have heard. Full age is our word for maturity. 17 times out of the about 20 sometimes it's used, it's translated perfect. It's a perfecting thing. It's the completion of what you're called to be and to do. Jesus, remember the third day I shall be perfected. Remember he said that? Didn't mean that he will become flawless. He always was. But on the third day he will have achieved his reason for being here. He will have reached his goal. But not only does it talk about that, but he said your senses will be exercised. That's your perceiving faculties. That's how you view things. You're supposed to exercise your senses. God gives you things to think about. Then he'll show you things that aren't right. And you got a chance to think about it. Again, like the occult. The occult means something hidden, something mysterious, secret. But it's manifested in the ways that define a lot how people seek an answer to life apart from God. Like hypnotism or fortune telling or kids play with a Ouija board or they shake the little eight ball, the little black eight ball down to Cracker Barrel and who will I marry that comes up and says you're going to die and then they can't sleep for a month. astrology charts and horoscopes. Those are all things that are defined under the occult. Like Disney World. How could anything possibly be wrong with Disney World? Well, I know they have witches. They do a lot about Snow White, that racial movie on you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And then we talk about Cinderella. Remember that one, Cinderella? Pinocchio nose uh, and some of those things. Wasn't there one called Fantasia? And there was one about Peter Pan. And throughout all of these cute little scenarios of children's movies and children's entertainment, there's the idea of magic. I think it's called the Magic Kingdom. And somehow we are disarmed without knowing much about the Bible to think that there's nothing wrong with that. It's innocent fun. It's little children's tales and little stories that children learn and that's nothing to it. Well, turn to Deuteronomy 18 so that I can burst bubbles and upset people, okay? Deuteronomy 18. See, I wrote this last week and I wanna get this out tonight. Verse 9, 
when you come into the land that God is going to bring you into, you shall not learn to do after the abominations of Disney, I mean, of other nations. Now listen to what an abomination is. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through fire. That was what they did in some of those idol worships. Or that useth divination, divining. That would be to go so far as a water witcher in the county who finds the wells. How many of you know that's not something that God gave you to do to find water? But it does find water because there's another power that operates the dumb thing. All right? Or an observer of times, a soothsayer, or an enchanter, or a witch. Well, I have to admit she is an ugly soul. As I have seen her in the cartoon, she really is ugly, but she's supposed to be ugly because she represents evil. But it's cute evil. Oh, a witch. But anyway, it goes on verse 11, talks about a charmer. A lot of families used to have warped charmers. That doesn't mean anything to you, but it was once a practice 100 years ago. Or a consulter with familiar spirits. I think there's even today a TV program called The Medium. I think there's one called The Mentalist, isn't there? It used to be one where a woman would hit her nose and go off somewhere. See, we've gotten so used to it because you're being disarmed in the last days to not have a problem with it. You get attached to that stuff. Or a wizard or a necromancer. Necromancer is one that calls up the dead. I notice what your Bible says. For all that do these things whether they be cartoons, Disney World, TV, magazines with its horoscopes and astrology charts and you think is interesting to do. All that do these things are what? Are an abomination unto God. And because of these things, because these abominations, the Lord doth drive them out from before him. Thou shalt be what? Before the Lord thy God. Perfect. Does your Bible say that? Let me tell you something. You cannot be with any of these other things in your life. Now, you've got to discern that. When you see the witch, you look another way, turn it off, get rid of it, close the book, the coloring book. When I was in Ecuador in uh, 03, I think it was, or maybe 04, we were at a place called the center of the earth where the Equator is here and one of those other lines that crossed right here at a pagan temple or a pagan site where there was an old arena. And just off from that pagan temple, they built this little museum with all kinds of artifacts inside of it from the various tribes in the jungles of Ecuador. And there were no steps. You just kind of walk in a circle to the top of the thing and then you get through and you come. It's like the Tower of Babel. You kind of come back down that way. I'll never forget this. And Brother Idy, who goes back a couple times a year, when he went back to us, I said, make sure you check on it. We were walking around there looking at all the artifacts, the spears and the mask and all the things that people do. And in one of these little glass rooms where all these artifacts are, skulls and bones and all that, there was a clown. Now, 
It looked all the world to me like Ronald McDonald had a little white, it was dirty, had the little white suit and had all these funny little marks on it. It was a clown. Not in America, not down at the Big Mac house. I'm talking in Ecuador, come out of a jungle as a part of their worship. Now, I made a mental note of that to know this. There is something really bad wrong with clowns. There's something wrong with what a clown represents and what a clown does. Now, when I see one, I don't run off the road and have an anxiety attack. <laughs> and then one of them danced by me at the circus and did all of that, I wouldn't hit him upside the head. <laughs> I just know that it's out there and it's out there because there are people who want it out there. If you say something about it being wrong, there are people who don't like you because they did it last week. They don't want to know it's wrong, which is why people stay in the dark. You're not supposed to be in the dark about things. We're supposed to be in the light. Remember that? Amen. If you're going to discern the, the biblical idea that if you're going to discern right, you got to know what's right and what's wrong. You can't discern between right and wrong if you don't know what's right and wrong. If you'll go back to Hebrews 5 again, at the end of that fifth verse, he said, Strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern what? Good and evil. What do we do with the evil? We avoid it. We reject it. We walk away from it. We rebuke it. We renounce it, however close it is to us. This is what you do. Let me close with saying this. What about religious spirits? These happen in the church all the time. What about denominational spirits? You know what a denominational spirit is? It is a religious mindset that has established a way a man thought we should worship that cannot and that will not change. It is a man-made religion. Name one that isn't. Lutherans, who's that after? Baptists? I mean, they're after people. Of course, there's nobody named Catholic. My daddy was a Catholic. I saw a picture in an old album this week of me and a Catholic priest many years ago. He was holding me on his lap, my, my. Again, I didn't fall out of my chair and renounce it and gagging and all of that. I just, that's the way it was. It was back then. There's not a more superstitious religion in the world than Catholicism. They have shrines over this world where there was once a figure, the sun, a cloud, a figure on a door, a tear out of a statue's eye. Can that happen? It does. And people get so affected by that they travel all over the world to see it and to stand before it and to pray and to touch it. They become shrines. Whether Medjugorje over in, in Europe or, or something else down in South America or Mexico. It doesn't take much discernment to know that that's not right any more than a priest can forgive me of my sins. No, he can't. If I sin against him, he can forgive me much as I can forgive you. But only God can forgive sins. And all of these kind of things that go on, no wonder we have become so different. 
We have made so many right decisions. I pray they're right. We've turned away from so much of the practices of man. I grew up in a system of man in the, in the Christian church. Their doctrine said we have no creed but the Bible. I like that. I just wish they would practice it. They don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They don't want anything to do with it. And I think, why then would a Christian want to be a part of any of that? Any of it. There's a spirit behind it. They get fixed on a way of religion, a way of life. And no matter what the Bible says, they won't change it. They're going to do the Santa Claus thing. I don't care if one day he jerked his mask off and it was your neighbor next door. They're still going to believe he came from the North Pole. I still remember when I was a child, I hadn't figured it out yet. On 4th Street in Louisville when it was still a good place to walk. I walked down to Kaufman's and there was a Sandy in there and I sat on his lap and sang White Christmas to him. I got it on a wreck, still got it, seven years old. I'm dreaming. And I, I did all of that. Told him I wanted a BB gun to Mickey Mouse watch. I did. And I remember sitting on his lap looking at him pretty careful. I remember this. I don't think you're real. Because I'd walk out of there, I'd walk out of Cobbins and walk up to the next door and there's another one. I ain't getting on no more laps. I'll take another BB gun, but I ain't getting on his lap to get one. Walk down the street and here was a, a lesser store. And I know that ain't true because his mask has a rubber band around it, around his head, holding his on. Everybody knows it isn't real, but how dare you preach about it? That's why there's no discernment, because there's a spirit behind it that forbids it. Like that lady said to me years ago, she said, if you're going to preach on Christmas, I'm not coming. That's what I'm telling you. You've got to discern that behind this lady's life, there is a spirit that controls her. She uses religion for her gain instead of letting God use her for his gain. Praise the Lord. Amen.